So for the introverts in the world, uh, sure not visited church. We're going to stay live music the whole way. Like a little dance going on. Uh, we visited the church in San Francisco with our daughter, and they do a four-minute, like, say hello to your neighbor thing. I'm like, four minutes? Some of our folks would freak out, and some of them would think this is the greatest church ever. Anyway, I was, I was ready for the four minutes to be over myself, but uh, I miss you guys. Been, we've been out three weeks, Cheryl and I have, uh, and that's really on purpose. I thought I'd explain that a little bit to you. One, one of the reasons is just to be healthy. I had a, a guy tell me one time, you really need to take three Sundays off in a row. And it's a way for me personally to stay healthy, but not, not just because it, it rests you in a different way. The other way it makes you healthy is, and it's really easy to see at Radius White Knoll, is, is that we have a variety of folks here that have different gifts, that have a ton of gift to teach. And so it gets, it gets this opportunity to hear the word from a different perspective and with power, but with different gifts. And so for us, just so you understand what we're doing we're excited about that. We'll keep doing that. That's what, what we're about. We, we, uh, it, it didn't build around a personality. It is built around Jesus. And we have this variety of gifts. So we're going we're gonna to use them. And particularly here, I don't know if you guys can sense it, but God has just blessed this church. And we pray for workers for the harvest. We sent a bunch of our folks to West Columbia. And we still got folks be, come, able to come up and teach. And we have a body that's able to care for one another. So it's cool. But I did miss you. So it was, uh, uh, we had a, a great trip, uh, Cheryl and I. I drove 6,300 miles. Only I drove 6,300. Cheryl drove about 3,000. So I drove to San Francisco, and I visited a couple churches that I know. They're really good at planting churches. I wanted to hear what they had to say. I wanted to learn from them. It was fun. Yeah, I'm a little weird. I listen to podcasts on the way. I listen to a book on CD. I don't know if that makes you weird or not, but it was great. Dreaming about maybe what God would do with Radius and the Radius family of churches over the coming years. And so I take notes, and that's kind of how my drive goes. But I had my most significant moment on the trip. I had um, some old CDs. Anybody, anybody do this? Like, they get to the old song. There's, like, this one old song, and, and like, it, 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 it's your boo song. And, you know, y'all sing it together. You got that song, and, and you got to look at each other on that. Uh, it wasn't that song. It was... Uh, <laughs> It was just a song, man. I don't know. It, it, it's, it's the band. I think it's the greatest band ever. So it's just my opinion only. I got all seven CDs. They're called Commissioned. If you missed them, they were in the 90s. All right, 90s and 2000s. Some of y'all weren't born yet. I understand. But it, it's kind of black gospel music. And these five, six guys, one of the key guys, Freddie Hampton, they can just throw. So you get uh, to the fifth cut. And I'm just enjoying driving down the road, enjoying my music. And he starts to sing this song in the first line. I won't sing it to you. I need a band to do that. But uh, it's, do you still love me like you used to? You know, I love the Lord. But it was just this, I felt like the Lord was in my Honda Accord asking me a question. Do you still love me like you used to? One of the lines, he says, I remember long conversations. You used to tell everybody about my love. And I was just listening to this guy. I mean, I love their voices. I love the style of music, which, you know, is just preference. But the lyrics, the lines, the things were being said were, were speaking to me. It was good that way. It was, it was 
worth the trip for that moment in my car where God meets you. Ain't nothing better than that. God met me in my car and he reminded me, asked me this question. I really feel like it's my job today to ask you that question. Do you still love him like you used to? Maybe, maybe you got saved in college. Some of you did. Or maybe you got saved early in life and, and you can remember where you just enjoyed having. The whole song was about enjoying having time with him. Just time. And, and he asked us that question today. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's just been recently. And uh, you're like, yeah, boy, I'm a, I love being with the Lord. And you, you like barely understand the song. Maybe when you got baptized, and we've had a bunch in this room, we've had some out there that day, and it, it, it's all started coming together for you and enjoying the Lord, and he just points you back to the baptism and says, do you still love me like you used to? And it's not like this, this make you feel guilty song. It's, this, it's a love song where, where God says, I want, I want your time. I love you. I just want your time. In a matter of fact, that the the singers, the artists who wrote the song, they write it uh, in in a way as if God were to need our time. He, he doesn't need our time theologically, but but there is this deep love for God for you, and he he sings this your whole life. Revelation three twenty. If if you're a believer, it's written to believers. Says that he stands at the door and knocks. He wants to have time with you. It was great. We got to uh, San Francisco. I got to San Francisco. Cheryl got off the plane and said she was tired. I'm like, tired? I just drove 3,000 miles. What in the world? I'm not supposed to be the emotional one at this point. We had a few minutes, and then we had a great time with Mariah in San Francisco. And then we just had a great drive back, man. We've been married almost 27 years. It was just good to have time. It was just the two of us. You know, these knuckleheads over here were in the car. It was just the two of us. And, and there was no other questions. And you could talk. You didn't have to worry about somebody hearing what you said behind you. Know, you know how when you have little kids, you can only say so much because they're sitting back there. I mean, we just talked. We, had a, we, we just had a blast. We went to, we, I saw the Redwoods. I attempted to see the Sequoias, which I really wanted to see. So we went to Yosemite. And when we went to this park, it was called Zion National Park. So you ever want to go see some parks? You been there? Dick, you been there? Yeah, he's been everywhere. Dick been everywhere. So just ask Dick, and he'll tell you. But uh, we go into Zion National Park, and I don't know if you guys know this about Cheryl. Cheryl is in a good bit better physical condition than I am, all right? So uh, there is this hike, and we're kind of doing the tour in the bus, and I'm, I'm, I like bus tours, all right? Cause dude tells me what happens, and we ride the whole way. And Cheryl sees this hike, and she's like, I really want to do it. I think the angels... Angels Landing. They call it that for a reason, because only an angel can get there. <laughs> so Cheryl's like, let's hike that. I'm, 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 I'm mixed. I'm <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, we start hiking up this thing, and I'm talking about it is. It, you go up, and you turn around, you go up, you turn around, you go up. And it's, you got to go like that up the side of the mountain, and there is not a handrail to be seen. I want a handrail. I want something made out of brick, and I want a handrail, because the higher we got, the more death looked real, all right? <laughs> We're going up this thing. Boy, I cannot. I got the backpack, by the way. But I cannot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, 
I can't breathe, boy. I can't breathe. We get up. But I'm going to tell you something. I want you to know this. I'd make a muscle if I wasn't embarrassed. But we did not get past the whole way up. I went on like five hikes. We didn't get past the whole week because that woman is just like charging up the mountain. The whole way up, she kept talking about how slick my shoes were. I'm like, baby, you trying to get in my head? Are you trying to scare me? And so uh, you get all the way to the top. I mean, it's been a while, and, and most of it just hard walking straight uphill. <laughs> you know you're getting old when you're talking about how hard walking was, right? And uh, it, it was just, we were dying, and lots of people, they were all over the place. And you get in these shady spots, and there was a couple spots where it was just like level and awesome and, and shady, and people be like knocked out drinking their water. Of course, drill sergeant here, we, we marching. And... Uh, we get all the way up close to Angel's Landing, and there's this big area where lots of people are gathered. And there's a little sign at the end of it. And on the sign, it says, six people have died doing this hike. I'm like, well, put that at the daggone bottom of the hill. Give me I got to go back down. But turns out, we look over across the way, and we ain't done yet. There's a section where there's change, chains bored into the side of the rock, and you're supposed to hold the chain and go the rest of the way, all right? So, I mean, and if, if you screw up, you're a dead man. That's just basically was my interpretation. And, and Cheryl's got in my head, my shoes are slick. I'm like, boy, this is going to be it. Derek is going to have to pre- better get warmed up, baby, because it's on. And uh, so Cheryl, like, she went about. 25 yards and she started getting scared which made me very happy because um, I can't say I'm scared right that's like part of the rules man code but uh, she gets she turns around comes back and we get back on that nice little salt I'm like oh thank you and then she's like we got to do it <laughs> we really we really so we went on up we went, probably went up 100 yards straight up on these chains and we got to this landing up there and it was only like maybe eight or nine feet wide and on this side was a sudden drop-off. It was sure death. And on that side, the problem was, I like, I only want one side sure death. Now we got two sides sure death. And, and I'm going to tell you, everything in my body, the blood was pushing my behind to the ground. It was just, let's get as much contact with this rock as I can get. But you can't show it, right, fellas? You know what I'm talking about. You can't show it. And every step I take, I'm thinking, I ain't never worried about these shoes. I got them. Like, my shoes are slick. I'm a dead man. And Cheryl turned around, she says, I think I had enough. I said, okay, baby, let's go on back down. It's good. We ain't finished. It went on. Dick, do you do this? You go to the top. Thank you. All right, good. You make me feel better. Let me, let me help you. You're all on that path somewhere. Just let's just, just take it and bring it to us. We're all on that path. And sometimes we think we're at the hardest part and we're just getting started. I mean, we made the first couple turns. I'm like, seriously, we're going to do this all the way up. And we were just getting started. We didn't know it was dangerous yet. And we all want to quit. We just do. We all want to quit. We all want to bail. We all want to run away from what maturity would demand. Certainly as believers, it's so tempting to back away from the things of God and go the easy route. Just stay on the bus. Let me help you understand how John's working. John, from the beginning, started with Jesus' birth, and he's worked us all the way through. And I think when you see some parts of Jesus' life, you're just going, this is a hard life. 
People hate Jesus. People have been trying to kill Jesus for the last seven, eight, nine chapters. And Jesus keeps on making these statements like he's God. And then, then folks, when it's just difficult and he is winding up through 33 years of life so that we'll have all of these chapters to understand that he did the same walk we did and harder. He went that, that whole way. When he gets to the chain, which is about where we are right now, when he gets to the end, and in his case, certain death, which is how I felt, certain death is on the horizon, he keeps going. You know why? Because he loved you. Because he loves you. He had to finish. He had to overcome his fear. He, I mean, as a man, I'm, I'm confident that he experienced fear. He had to go forward because he loved you. And all he wants from us now is our time. Our life. Let me read to you a little bit. Maybe I should pray first. Jesus. Ah, uh, I want, you know, I, these are my friends, know most of them. I just want them to have moments like I had in my Honda, Lord, where you and I met. Thank you so much, Jesus, for finishing, for working your way all the way through a life here on earth and going all the way to the cross and finishing and con confronting death and defeating death by rising from the dead so that today I could tell people that I love and know that you met me in my Honda, that you, you do life with me. I had no reason to ever expect to be able to talk to you, Father, outside of Jesus. Thank you. Thank, for the, thank you for this book of John that records his life so that I can read it and I can celebrate it from the bottom of the hill all the way to the top. I love you. Speak from your word this morning. Amen. This uh, chapter 18, if you can imagine me and Cheryl grabbing the chains, is when you know it gets dangerous in Jesus, you'll feel it. He knows it's extremely dangerous. There's been a variety of things that have happened before. We, we kind of skipped through and we went through the I am statements, which were which were great, and we did 16 and 17 a while back. I'm not going to review all that, but let me just read chapter 18. After saying these things, Jesus crossed the Kidron Valley, and he and the disciples entered a grove of olive trees. Like, you couldn't meet down at brunches back in the day. They didn't have a place to meet all over the place. So you often met outside, so they, you'd, you'd want to meet. It's hot. It, you, want, you want to meet uh, where the trees are. So they sat, and they, and they talked. And Judas, I don't know how well you know your Bible, but Judas was one of the disciples, but he's betraying Jesus. Now John begins to call him the betrayer. He's called him that before. Judas, the betrayer, knew this place because Jesus had gone there with his disciples. And the leading priests and the Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards to accompany him. To accompany him. And now with blazing torches and lanterns and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove. You can actually feel them marching into the olive grove with their with their torches and their swords, and they're ready to arrest Jesus. And it feels like a movie where they're coming from the dark, and they're coming in this little area. Judas knows where it is, and they're going to meet Jesus. And Jesus fully realized 
He fully realized what's about to go down, all that was going to happen to him. And so he stepped forward to meet him. And he says, I love this because you talk about somebody confident who they are and what their what their mission is. He says, who are you looking for? I can imagine it just being one of the soldiers with him. Who are you looking for? And he says, Jesus, the Nazarene. And he says, I am he. Now, we've spent seven Sundays going through statements where Jesus starts the thing with I am. Right. You remember we uh, Derek started off with I am the bread of life. He is our soul sustenance. He's how, he's how we live. I'm the light of the world. It's the only way to see really see in a fourth dimension in a spiritual way It's through Jesus. He says, I am the door. I'm the only way to God. I'm the good shepherd. I think Derek had that when I, I am the good shepherd. It actually states that he's the king and that he'll lead us along the way. He says, I am the resurrection. He's going back to the core of everything. And he keeps saying, I am. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds cocky. It sounds like he's super confident that he, he's completely in control of everything. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the only one that could give you the opportunity to live beyond this life. To have life after this life. I think Benji taught that I am the vine two, two Sundays ago. That you have to plug into Jesus for sustenance. The only way to real sustenance, the real life, is through Jesus, through the vine. And then uh, last week he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what I love a lot about when Derek preaches is you can feel that in who God has made him as a man. His testimony, who, who just who he is, that there's life there that wasn't there. He'll speak to that. All of us speak to that. Some of us are supposed to sit on the stage and do it. Some of us sit in our cubicle and do it. And some of us do our job wherever it is. And, and hopefully folks look in and they go, they can see the truth, the way, and the life in you because Jesus indwells you. Jesus just keeps on saying, I am goes all the way back to the day when Moses met God on the mountain. Now, some of y'all know your Bible well. You remember Moses is up. I mean, Mo Moses has this moment with God. God gives him the Ten Commandments. And, and the King James says that God says, I am that I am. It's this powerful statement of a powerful God. A, NLT calls it, I am who I am. I don't. It's this, this statement of Godness. So Jesus it's really casual. If you read the Greek here, he says, I am he. And he says it three times. John records it three times. Really casual. It'll be like me saying to you, uh, it is I, which I would never say because that's like proper grammar. <laughs> uh, it is I. Or it would be just like when somebody calls me and says, this is John Reeves. I was like, yeah, it's, I'm a, it's me. It's just simple, casual, whatever comes to mind. Um, or I could just say, yeah, I'm John. Jesus saying, I'm Jesus. Yeah, that's who I am. And it says Judas betrayed him. Here, John gives some details. Jesus said Judas betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he. And they all drew back and they fell to the ground. I cannot wait to see that when we get to heaven. Jesus, just tell me what happened. It's as if he showed them that he was God. We've talked about this before. And it overwhelmed them. And the soldiers took a step back and then fell on their tail. All Jesus had to do was in that moment tell them to stay on the ground. He could have just kept them looking at the God of the universe. They could have never gotten up. He could have made them into dust in the moment. But he loved you. He loved you. 
So he had this little moment where he says, I am, and he showed them that he was God. But then they got back up, and he allowed them to arrest him. They ain't killed Jesus. At the end of his, at the end of his time on the cross, he, he gives his life. They couldn't kill Jesus. They couldn't arrest Jesus. He's on a mission. He is not going to quit until he's finished. He says again, who are you looking for? And again, they replied. I just imagine them getting back up. I think we said Jesus of Nazareth. I'm not sure. I'm a little shook up right now. And Jesus said, I told you that I am he. And since I am the one you want, these others go. It's like a good movie where they come to arrest one guy and, and he's trying to set all his buddies free. Or, or they come or the bad guys get somebody and he's trying. Jesus is saying, I, I, don't take these guys, just take me. I'm the one you want. But here's what's cool. He had prophesied this early. He said, uh, verse 9, he says, he did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those who you had given me. God had given these 11 guys. I ain't lose one of them. He just said it the day before. Verse 10, favorite part of the passage. Convicted me many times in the past. Hopefully it convicts you today. And Simon Peter drew his sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest slave. Now, I don't know about you, but it's just one of those moments. My, my son Elijah right now would be saying, Peter is my boy. He's my boy. I mean, Peter's ready to go. They come to arrest Jesus. And evidently, probably a dagger, not a sword. Because I'm thinking, how do you cut off a ear with a sword, right? I mean, like, unless you're Zorro and you, like, let's clip the ear off and catch it and hold it in front of him. Like, you want some more? But I don't think that's what. Peter's a fisherman. Like, we're having a fishing contest. Peter might win. But he don't know how to use a sword. A lot of people think it was a dagger and he probably had it hid and he pulled it out. And most people would say he's trying to kill Malchus. And all he did was cut his ear off. That just tells you that he's really, really brave, but he's really clumsy. All right? So, like, I imagine trying to poke him like this and it just, like, graze in the side of his face and it cuts off his ear and i imagine malchus is a big because it seems like he's a guard he's a servant that's in the protection mode he's a big guy and he cuts off his ear and malchus is like really man that's all you got i mean you cut my ear off what are we doing here you know like just this weird i don't know if he had a big sword if he chopped at it like that and all he got was his ear and it got stuck in malchus shoulder i don't know i'm just i'm not i've seen too many movies but anyway you got this weird this weird moment where Peter rises up, and for most of us in the room, we're just so proud of Peter, right? So proud of Peter because he did something. Look at Jesus' response. Jesus has a classic response. Put your sword back in your sheath. We read a couple of the other Gospels. He actually heals Malchus in the moment, which is amazing. Picks up the ear. That would have been a sight to see. Puts it back on. I don't know if he heals the shoulder. I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened, but... Uh, said, Peter, put your sword back in. What are you doing? Shall I not drink from the cup of the suffering the Father has given me? Peter, we've been talking about this for days. I told you I had to die. I've been telling you since you started following me that this is how this thing was going to go. What you doing? Am I not supposed to finish? You trying to distract me from finishing this thing? Man, I feel... In my soul, so much of what Peter must have felt in that moment. I don't know, maybe you have. You've had this moment where you thought you were being brave. You thought you were doing the right thing. And the Lord just says, what are you doing? I got a feeling he does that a little bit with, with all of us. I imagine Peter coming away from there confused because Peter really thought 
that uh, he had figured out what Jesus was trying to accomplish. And he thought they were going to overthrow the Roman government. And this was the beginning. And he was going to follow Jesus. He was going to give his life all the way to the end. Let me just explain to you, Peter wasn't the only one. There's these folks called the Pharisees. We've talked to them a bunch. They would have a slogan, uh, something like, make Israel great again. <laughs> That's who they were. They're like, let's go back to the original constitution. Let's go, let's go back to the first five books of the Torah. And they would argue for all that they're worth that if you would just follow my ideology, we can fix it. We can fix the problems of Israel if you'll just line up behind us, the Pharisees, and we'll fix it. And we see them over and over through the Gospels love only themselves and preach the law. And Jesus battles with them. You got this other group, the Herodians, they would have been the far left. So politics in Israel. You got the Pharisees at the far right. I don't know. You, you compare. Right now, I can't tell what's what in our nation. Right? I can't tell what's left and right anymore. But anyway, there's, and then to the far left, you, you got these folks called the Herodians. And they actually were beginning to say that Herod was king. You're talking about the Roman governor. They're saying he's king. Let's do whatever he says. And they were downloading all the doctrine of Rome and pulling it into Israel. And they're like, if we would just follow him and stop creating havoc, we, we could have peace. And, and they were to the left. And you got these folks just saying, if you would line up behind me in the way I think, we could fix this. Peter probably lines up a little bit more with another group, that probably the one I would relate with the most, the zealots. And the zealots are like, we, somebody needs to bleed to fix this. All right? Somebody, somebody needs to bleed. And the only way to fix our situation is a revolution. So in their ignorance, Peter and the boys would be up in the rooms plotting how they're going to overthrow the Roman, the Roman government, which has more folks in the military than in the whole nation of Israel. And we got rocks, and we're going to throw it at them, and we're really good rock throwers. And we're going to, I mean, obviously, Peter can't even kill Malchus, right? He can't even hit the target. So you have this political thought of how things are going to get fixed and jesus pauses and says, man put your sword away you really you really think we can change things that way have you not lived long enough to see that man-made ideologies never fix stuff oh you read the old testament you see that a good king obviously blesses a nation Right. A good king makes things much better and a bad king makes much worse. So you got to vote your conscience in a few days. And I'm telling you, this is the most complicated. I'm really thinking about running just because I think I got a shot because it's so horrible. But there's there's there is this deep self-righteousness that we all are seduced by that our ideology, if everybody would just line up behind me. And my understanding, we could fix it. You ever say this in your home, dads, moms? I said it this week, and Cheryl gave me this look like, did you really say that? I said, if you would just listen to me, and, and I didn't say my ideology, but my ideology, then it, we'd all fix it. And she looked at me like, I'm like I did just say that, didn't I? I said, yeah, she go, yeah, you said that. You, you actually think that if you just, if everybody followed you, we'd be good. Which couldn't be further from the truth. I was sitting at a little college I worked at. I was the head basketball coach. That's how important a job I had i.e. head, make sure you got head, and uh, the president was giving a speech to the college, and there was a 19-year-old kid sitting beside me. The president got done with a speech. I would say it wasn't a very good speech, but um, evidently the kid beside me didn't think. He goes, he looked at me, and he says, you ought to be the president of this college. 
And I laughed because I'm thinking, you know, I'm 24. I, I laughed. And then once I paused for a minute, I'm like, you're right. I should be the president of this college. <laughs> I mean, I'm clueless. But there's just something deep within us all. It's, it's this self-righteousness that makes us think that we are the answer. And oftentimes we'll line up behind a leader. And we will promote like that like it's the answer. We put our money to it. We put our mouth to it. And Jesus is saying, but I am the king. I'm running a different play. I don't line up with any of the political parties. I'm the king. You going to line up with me? It's just this surreal. I mean, for where we are in our country right now, it's this cool moment for us all to go. Regardless of what we're going to do in a few months, we all know it ain't going to fix it. The only thing that fixes your neighbor or our nation is the king, capital K. And Jesus could bring healing to a broken place. All this chaos that we've seen in the last two months, two weeks. The only one, and, and, and the reality is, we've read this book. He's not going to bring healing until he comes back. So we're his ambassadors to bring that good news to our neighborhood right now in its broken, chaotic case. We start thinking we could save America. What about the Chinese? Right? There's millions of believers in China. What are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to hope that their government's going to go back to its founding documents or something to fix everything? They just got to keep telling about Jesus to their neighbors. Dying for their faith like they do. As a matter of fact, a lot of reading this book with, that Cheryl gave me, a lot of them don't really think like you're a great follower of Jesus till you've been locked up for three years. That's what Jesus is saying. Shall I not drink the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Let me read on. I'm going to run out of time. Get on my soapbox there. Uh, so the soldiers, I just looked in the lights. I can't see the page now. <laughs> So the soldiers there, commanding officer and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. And first they took him to Annas, which I think is the safer pronunciation of that. And, and the father-in-law of Caiaphas and the high priest at that time. And Caiaphas was the one who told the other Jewish leaders, it's better for the one, uh, it's better for one man should die than for all the people. Just so you have a little understanding, Annas is like the godfather. He's the original high priest. And, and the Roman government came in, and it used to be, if you were a high priest, you could never be unseated. But the Roman government came in, and uh, they wanted to change high priests on a regular basis. And so Annas, he's the godfather. He put one of his sons in that spot, and then another son, Caiaphas, is actually his son-in-law. So nepotism at its best. Verse 15, uh, Simon Peter followed Jesus again, chunk. My boy, Simon Peter follows uh, Jesus uh, as he goes to trial and did uh, as did another of the disciples. You know what? I've read this so many times. I've never paid attention to that. Who do you think that was? Who's been putting himself in the dark? The whole uh, the whole book of John. John, the writer. He says, Simon Peter followed Jesus as did another of the disciples. Probably John. And the other disciple was acquainted with the high priest. And he's trying not to toot his own horn. Hey, I knew somebody. I got us in. So, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Just this is cool because I'm wondering if he passed this when he wrote this book. Hey, Peter, check this out. And then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to a woman watching the gate. And, he, and she let Peter in. And the woman asked Peter, you're not, the one, you're not one of the man's disciples, are you? I can imagine her pointing over to Jesus. 
looking at Peter in the eye. Aren't you one of his disciples? One of the translations says that he's from Galilee, he had an accent. I'm assuming it was southern. Galilee was south. That's just how it works. Um, she, she recognizes his accent. And, and I want you to catch this verse because we've all lived it. She says, aren't you one of his disciples? And Jesus and Peter said, no. I am not. You ever said that? I have. I don't know if I've said it just like that, but I've been in these situations at times where I really have this opportunity to speak for Jesus and I bail. I can do it pretty smooth. I'm not quite like that, but I can bail. Hoss wasn't there, cut my hair the other day. First time I've ever missed him. And got another guy in there, cuts hair. And uh, he cut my hair. We had this great conversation. Talked about everything. Talked about Jesus. But at the end, I felt like I needed to drop 10% more. And I bailed. Walked out, got in my fusion, drove home the whole way home. Just like, I felt like I denied Jesus. I didn't. I didn't like deliver the truth. It was right there for the taking. I, I, I just, I just didn't deliver it. Anybody else? Anybody else know this spot? Peter's got to be feeling it. He said he wouldn't deny Jesus, and now he's right here in a minute, and he denied. Sometimes you're facing a sinful decision. You know what I'm saying? I don't name yours. We can make a list, put it up on the board. Probably takes a while. It's facing a sinful decision, and I can feel the Holy Spirit speaking to me, don't do it. And it's not so much for his sake or even for the church's sake. Or it's, it's for my sake. He's trying to save me from sin, from going down this road that always depresses me. And he's saying, don't do it. You ever, do, do you ever, like, consciously in your mind say, no, I'm going to do it anyway? I have. Make the conscious decision. To go against what God wants me to do. You ever do that with your money? Like you feel pressure from the Lord to be faithful and generous to folks, to the church, whatever. Like, like I'm supposed to do this. It's something that, that God's put on me. I need to be generous. It needs to be a normal grind for me in this life to share my stuff. But, but when it really comes down to writing that check or whatever, pushing a button on the computer, you just can't pull the trigger. And at the end of it, you feel like, ah, I did it again. Another month, another week, another something. Anybody? I'm glad y'all amen so much because I feel like I'm the only one because I've done all this. It's just this moment of denial of who I really think the king is. Because it was cold, the household of servants and guards had made a charcoal fire. And they stood around it warming themselves and Peter stood with them warming himself. Inside, the high priest began asking Jesus and his followers what they had been teaching and what, what he had been teaching them. And, and Jesus replies, this is awesome. Everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and in the temple and where the people gather, uh, where, the, where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask somebody who heard me. Everybody's heard what I've said. I'll just say this about radius. The same thing we say on this stage is the same thing we say in the leadership meeting. We're doing the same thing. We talk about Jesus. We pray for one another. We do the same things. It's flawed because I'm flawed. You're flawed. Jesus has never been flawed. He's consistent when he's on the stage. He's consistent when he's behind the doors. 
And he's just saying, why are you asking me these questions? This isn't hidden. I'm not, it's not like a secret society. This isn't some cult where we have this backhanded stuff that you got to dig deep to find. We say it all up front. It's all been said. I, I've said it here. He's been saying it. One of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. I'm feeling a backhand because I've seen enough Westerns. I feel like it was a backhand across the face. And he says, that's not the way you talk to the high priest. And I really want Jesus to be like Clint Eastwood and, and drop him right there where he stands or, or not flinch. Like, you know, the, the guys that get slapped and they barely turn their head. I don't know how their neck muscles work. I want to give some so it don't hurt so much. But anyway, he, Jesus, he just stays calm. You know why? Because he loves you. He's got to finish. He could have dropped that joke. He could have turned him into dirt. But he takes it on the chin and he says, if I'd have said it, if I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? And then Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Jesus is going to go through six trials before we're done with this over the next couple of weeks. Meanwhile, last couple of verses. As Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again. You ever been here? You ever deny Jesus once and then it comes back around and you miss it again? You ever told a lie and felt bad about it, but it comes back to you and then the lie just grows and grows and grows and you can feel it eating away at your integrity and it just, it's just a horrible feeling. They ask him again and he denied it. They said, you're not the one, aren't you one of the disciples? He says, no, I am not. Verse 26. But one of the household slaves the high, uh, of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? And Peter denied it. And immediately the rooster crowed. I don't know if you know how this story goes, but Jesus just predicted that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. I don't know what the significance of the rooster is, just that it's morning. Yeah, I don't think there's any Gamecock, like, revelation here or anything. It's just, it's, just, it's just this statement, you're going to deny me before the sun comes, before the rooster crows. As a matter of fact, in Luke, it actually says that when the rooster crowed, Jesus looked over, who's on trial beforehand, he looks over at Peter, and they make eye contact. You got this crazy moment where Jesus, with his eyes, says, do you still love me? I thought you loved me. And Peter denies him, and I can imagine some hurt in Jesus' eyes. Man, Jesus doesn't need us, right? But he loves, and he loves Peter. I can imagine Jesus sitting on trial right now and looking out at us. He knows your week, he knows mine, and saying, do you still love me? Do you still love me like you used to? Here's what's cool. He didn't look at the Pharisees. He didn't look at the Herodians. He didn't look at the Zealots. He looked at his friend, Peter. And he, and he made eye contact and he fulfilled, he fulfilled this prophecy. And if you know the story, by the time we get to the end of this book, and then if you flip over to 1 Corinthians 15, which I don't have time to read now, Jesus goes and meets Peter after he's resurrected from the dead. He goes to the home, it seems like, of Peter and goes in and meets him. I, I cannot imagine the embrace that went on there where Peter doesn't know who he is anymore. 
because his ideology failed him. What he thought would fix everything failed him. And here comes Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, into his room. And all of a sudden, he realizes, despite my denial, he loves me. Loves me. And I got a relationship with him. It doesn't matter what's happened here lately in your life. It matters. It'll, it'll hurt. But to Jesus, he still loves you and he wants relationship and he wants time. He wants you to be intentional to give him some time. Some of y'all confused. It's a good time to be confused in America. It's been a crazy ride. Crazy ride. But Jesus says it's the beauty of calling him king for all the chaos. I can come in and have peace if I rest in his love for me as opposed to somebody trying to figure out the problems. He is the answer. It's depressing, man. All you got to do is scroll for a little bit and, and you can feel yourself going down just because because the world struggling. But man, if anybody had something for this world, it's us because Jesus loves us. And what does he do with Peter? The guy who denied him three times. Builds a church on his back. Here's what he says about you. The Bible says the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. The church is not some building with some steeple on it. It's you. The gates of hell cannot prevail against you. Why? Because Jesus, Jesus loves you. He fills you with his Holy Spirit. The enemy is no match for the Holy Spirit. The question is, will we get permission to do what he does? Let's worship a little bit. We've got bread and juice up here on the front. When we, when we look at the bread and juice, we're thinking about that trail that Cheryl and I walked up as Jesus walked all the way up to where the chain is, and then he finished. He got over at whatever fear the man, God man had, and he worked his way up the chain all the way, and that is the pinnacle where Jesus dies on the cross because he loves you. Good news is he died. But good news is he rose from the dead, and that's what gives you life. We'll talk more about it as we go. Let me pray. Jesus, listen to us as we worship. Lord, we want to put our hope in you, but we often put our hopes in ourselves or in some leader or somebody other than you. Protect us from it. Many in this room came to Christ when they were in their teens or in college or early in life some has just been recent <laughs> their love life with you is off the chain right now would you with your holy spirit speak into us and remind us of times when we were close to you would you sing that song that i've been listening to to our souls and draw us back to yourself some of us been denying you fairly regularly by our actions help help us confess this morning and turn and come back into relationship with you. I love you. Listen to us as we worship.